When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. The impulse to make art is with us from childhood. It's the desire. I'm going to do it again because we might distract you. Okay. Okay, folks. The impulse to make art is with us from childhood. It's the desire to play, to say, hey, look what I made. It's the wild fun of making a big mess that's nobody else's but your own and not having to clean it up. Above all else, art is wild. It's independent. It's free. And that's why the art industry is a very weird thing, isn't it? In order to make money at scale, as the Silicon Valley kids like to say, movie studios, fancy galleries, and concert promoters have to quantify, systematize, and package that sense of freedom. If it sounds like a paradox, that's because it is. I'm just going to say it. The more money at stake, the less breathing space for all that stuff that draws us to art in the first place. I'm here today with an actor whose name is basically synonymous with creative freedom. Parker Posey has created unforgettable characters in indie films like Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused, Hal Hartley's Faye Grimm, and Christopher Guest's Best in Show, and in big studio productions like You've Got Mail and Netflix's recent series Lost in Space. Wherever she shows up, Parker fills the screen with an energy teetering between hilarious and deeply uncomfortable, a sense of chaos barely contained. Her new memoir, her first book, captures that same wonderfully unpredictable honesty and humor. It's called You're on an Airplane, a self-mythologizing memoir. Welcome to Think Again, Parker. Thank you. It's good to be here. That's so nice. I love how, how you rounded that up. It's so much about play. I'm even more of an artist than I am an actor because I, I want to be independent of this movie business. But I'm an actor, and I, and I enjoy it. But I'm, I think the older I get, the more I understand myself, and I was able to make something else. You said something early on in the book about how you have a chapter called Why Am I an Actor? And it's like, I'm an actor because crazy things just happen to me. And then you tell this story about your pants falling down in the middle of the street. And you said, like, basically, yeah. somehow being unable to... Control this Hide. kind of like, yeah. yeah, yeah, that something's gonna, you know, you're gonna walk into a room and your belt loop is gonna catch the doorknob, you know, that kind of energy. I think that is just part and parcel of being an, of being an actor. And I've seen it my whole life. And <laughs> but all these embarrassing things happen to me, some of which are in the book that I was forced to remember. And <laughs> I mean, do you think that that comfort that I don't know, that honesty and that comfort with the mess that that's universal among actors? Or are there different kind of actors? And because of the kind of actor that you are, because that energy is is yours, that's how you ended up starting out in the way that you did, like in those kinds of roles. Well, it's comedy and tragedy. Tears of a clown. You don't have... For me, in the ways that I'm an actor, I don't I don't have the the tragedy without without the comedy. It just doesn't. It's not working that way. Mm. And so, sad things are funny, and funny things are can be twisted and sadistic. Right. Um, there's all sorts of shades, and I was I was born into it. And that's a wonderful thing about meeting actors. And I I wanted to express this in the book. Like, there's some really nice, conscious, aware fun just w- wonderful people in the in the industry but you were talking about how there's two sides i forget how you put it but these sort of like reptilian people that basically there's like the good ones and then there's and then yeah, there's another right. type of energy that people come with which is sort of catty and manipulative and destructive and yeah that's right that's right let's say you're in a movie and and then they're like wow you guys had great chemistry and then the actress was like you have no idea we hated each other it was complete hell (laughs) he monopolized every moment he took every ounce of energy from the room and but you get you get the other side you know the positioning of what 
you have to take in order to balance out that room. There's an alchemy involved that nothing is against me. You know, you lose if you take that the wrong way, if you take it personally. But really the work is to alchemize it and to to make it uh, understandable to yourself, to make it okay. But like, it's hard to predict, I guess, like before Mm. any any role or who you're working with, what that chemistry is going to be. Nobody sort of maps that out for you. That's right? right. That's right. And you don't understand. There's no way of knowing. You just have an instinct about something, especially with the independent movies where you're not right. making that much that much money. You know, like when I did Columbus, the Coganata's film. I don't yeah, know if you've seen it. his I videos. And, have you seen his videos I, on Vimeo? No. They're so beautiful. And, you know, he was a filmmaker. He was a writer for Filmmaker Magazine and Screenwriter Magazine. And he's in his 40s and lives in Chicago. And Anyway, he's such a he's such a beautiful artist and interpreter of, of cinema and how to watch cinema and I'm just I'm so happy for his um, that he got to make a movie because um, his his voice and his vision was so was so beautiful and his writing it's harder now for movies even even the smallest like now independent movies are like two hundred thousand dollar budget you right know? and what you, comparably like what what was a typical independent i mean of course we have to adjust for inflation or whatever mm-hmm. but like back in the day like 1.2 okay right yeah you would get a you know like broken english was just in a million so and that is a three-week shoot you're working fast and you're having two or three takes and you're moving on but you're also you know you're in that energy of the real deal so people want to be involved. So it creates a like really or they did. <laughs> I mean it creates a difficult <clears throat> like that those <clears throat> economics create a difficult in some cases impossible calculus for actors who want to do interesting movies where they're just like well I'd better get a big commercial or something if you know what I mean yeah, like that's you have to right. sort of yeah. finance it on the back of other stuff I guess at this yeah, point. Yeah, that's right. It's blockbusters, it's it's Marvel, it's, you yeah, know, yeah. the machine has just gotten so much stronger and uh, the market so much larger <clears throat> and the creative process of um, movie making is uh, not as strong in the culture. Was there something else you want to yeah, No, okay. it doesn't okay. matter. It's more business stuff, stuff, which I think is kind of boring. But. Well, I mean, it's it, the reason, the only reason it's interesting to me, though, is that I think back to how I thought about art when I was... 20, right? Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, a total asshole, basically, with respect to mainstream, big budget anything, right? (laughs) I just, I I wanted to, so I was in acting school. I was at NYU for acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I went to SUNY Purchase. Oh, okay, Mm -hmm. great. And so, yeah, it was like, I'm gonna travel around in a Brecht troupe or something. Like, I had no idea, you know. And did you, did you travel around in a Brecht? I actually um, made it to like final callbacks for a traveling Shakespeare troupe. So that that might have happened, but then... Uh What did happen? I don't know. Lots I did of a Brecht play in college <laughs> that was p- pretty special. A jungle of cities. Yeah. And the seniors, when I was a freshman, moved to the whole company was like, we're, we're moving to Minneapolis. Or, and they started their own theater company called The Big Red Barn or The Big Barn or something like that. And you actually could. I mean, that's the thing. When I lived in New York, in, in Manhattan, I had the same apartment for 13 years. It was $736 right. a month. You know, I could be like, yeah, I don't need money. Right, right, I, right, right. I don't need, right. you know, there was freedom. There right. was freedom. And... People are like, God, aren't you tired? You're doing so many uh, independent movies. It's like, yeah, but they're, they're not paying me and I need to make my rent. Right. But I was, you know, I was auditioning for Reality Bites. I was auditioning for all these, you know, these Hollywood movies or, or trying to, but just not fitting in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Or I'd have ideas that were just kind of like, well, we don't really want those ideas, you know, to creative to make something more personal they're like no just yeah yeah. just shut up and be pretty 
There was that funny moment you talk about in the book, that line you wanted to say in the in the Woody Allen, which Woody Allen, Irrational Man. Um, oh, you just wanted to say it's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, he's like a teacher wouldn't say that. Yeah, now. he was like, you can't yeah, just have that. You know, we want you to do everything that you want to do with this. What I wrote isn't very good. And so whatever you feel that you want to add to the reality of this, just say what you want. And. Then I just decided to throw it. He's like, yeah, I'll see you later. I'm like, that's cool. And I said, that's terrible. Why did you say that? I was just like, I'm going right. to die. And, and in the same, and this was one breath after his line about it, where you use the word grass. To oh, talk yeah, yeah, yeah. I weed. thought we'd like, like smoke some grass <laughs> and, you know, you'd come up to, you know, my apartment. And he's like, no, that's all right. And I'm like, that's cool. And I, yeah, I could have said, yeah, they don't really call pot grass anymore. <laughs> but, I could have, yeah. He's, he's Woody Allen, I could have so, yelled yeah. that out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Guess what? They don't call pot grass anymore. <laughs> that would have really been fun. This thing about people like the mainstream or the, I don't know, big budget productions of getting you or not, it feels like it feels like that too is sort of a crapshoot because you do see surprising, unexpected performances in big budget movies. It's just maybe it's about relationships or I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, connections with yeah, agents yeah, yeah, yeah. who drink the same kind of right, coffee right, like right, I talk right, about. Right, like right. Who, who knows what that is? Yeah, yeah. It is a casino. I remember, you know, running into David O. Russell and talking about the movie that he did with um, Jennifer Lawrence. Okay. I was like, God, that you know, that was really good. I thought it, if you thought about making it a you know a series, that would have been a really good series. Right. You know, and everyone's talking about. It's like, yeah, you're you know, you're right. And I, are you working on anything? It's like, oh God, no. Like I, I maybe I should go out to L.A. for a little bit. But I had tried that, and you know, David, who's who's such a brilliant director, and he's so honest, and uh, but he's just like, it's a casino, it's a casino, you know, don't you understand? <laughs> and it really, really, really is. There are so many stories. Meaning that, meaning by casino, like chance, luck? Yeah, like. so much chance and luck, and, and catching the actress whose last movie did, uh, you know, made a lot of money, right. and how, you know, little goes into if the actor's really right for the role these days now. And that's what was so beautiful about the independent film movement that I got to participate in was meeting these directors like Greg Matola, friend of Leo Schreiber, and, you know, everyone just seemed to be so connected back then. You know, Kahani Korn, who shot the documentary for Days of Confused, ended up being working on the Jon Stewart show. And it just right. felt as there was this intimacy and connectedness that just seemed to turn, like, and it was heartbreaking, right, to realize, like, whoa, that's over. And now it's this other thing has come in talk shows, comedians who write their own material, um, SNL comedies, broader comedies that are ideas, you know, as opposed to uh, the stories coming from within the characters and the actors, plays that are written, conceived by producers, but not by the soul of the playwright. And then you have you hear about all those play those playwrights that are going and, and to LA to write on TV shows, you know, so it's this Right. You know, right. right. I actually I saw that you've done you've done some like voiceover work and and like robot chicken and stuff, right? Yeah, Is that right? I did and that I was in, thinking um, I was thinking that like the you know, a lot of the weird, unpredictable energy now, writery energy, is going into cartoons. Yes, you know? right. Yeah. Do you watch that? Have you seen um, that show? I, I have to admit that I haven't. I saw I saw the one about. What is that crazy one on Netflix about like a talking horse? Do you know that show? Uh, Mr. <laughs> Ed? No, it, it's for adults. It's a, like, it's a, anyway. Oh my God, animals that talk. But just very I mean, tripped out kind oh, of Oh yeah. Crazy. I tried to get a pitch an idea called Dogs Playing Poker. And uh, it, it takes place after the apocalypse. And it's just dogs <laughs> downstairs like like the needlepoint portrait. Right. And what's on the on the news are like uh, you know, people now doing like good things in the arts and stuff. So it's like a Charlie Rose like okay. you know, kind of thing. He's a Labrador who's giving interviews to like people. Like everyone is is a dog, and I just think watching would, animals talk would be just a hilarious thing. I see a dachshund. I think it should happen. Yeah. I see a dachshund in you. 
A dachshund, mm -hmm. really? Mm -hmm. What is a dachshund's yeah. energy like for you? Oh, I think they're smart. Okay. Um, yeah, I think they're smart <laughs> and they're devoted to their master. Um, and very short. Which is your podcast and, um, and, and <laughs> my master and is your my work. <laughs> and your work. So they're short and they're sort of. Um, oh, so they're long-haired dachshunds. They seem nervous to me. Are they nervous? I'm a no, little nervous. Okay. I don't think so. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a nervous person, too. We <laughs> um, <laughs> just want to run away. But I mean, that I have to say, I'm sorry, I'm going to pause and say that that is, that's what's so great about everything I've seen that you've done on screen. Because, because I don't know, there is this sort of conspiracy in the world, I think, of people trying to convince each other that everything and everyone is like perfect Ugh. and flawless all the time. Oh, it's and, so true. And the and the sort of that whatever that mm -hmm. nervous power that you like you have mm -hmm. and harness, like mm -hmm. it makes room for mm -hmm. realness. It's welcoming, I think, to humanity. <laughs> I you know, when you do when I work I just I remember doing um Hurley Burley with Ethan Hawk. Oh, and, that's and, a great place. Such a great place. And um I wrote about it, but it got is in a chapter that got cut. But he said, you know, it, it it cost something. Like there was this awful scene that he was doing that was really painful, and he's like, yeah, it, it it's got to cost something, you know. Then there's a cost, and you don't really know what that is or what the creative process is going to be like. <laughs> right. But I do feel like. And I know this is intense and dramatic, but it does feel like something has to die in order for something to live. And so you're kind of watching. It's an existential thing. You're marking your time here. You're honoring this character. It means something. Right. And it's because I could die tomorrow. You know, I was born fighting for my life. And you read the book. I think it's yeah, that you were very, energy. very premature, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, I think it's yeah. that energy that I that I have. In order for that energy to be harnessed and to turn into something, mm -hmm. there needs to be a lot of space. The director needs to understand the. There needs to be space made mm -hmm. for that mm -hmm. for the like mistakes that have to be made on yeah. the way to that. Yeah, and that I guess is the casualty if you end up in a sort of airless professional environment you know if money and time and whatever is yeah, so yeah. tight that there isn't it has you, to be open you, 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 you right. know and it has to be free and you, you don't really create anything out of control right it has to be open and vulnerable right and that's it's very anachronistic to these times right now where we want our heroes to look strong and we want the line said as you're staring into someone's eyes and, <laughs> you know, not reacting at all, you know, and being really strong. And some of these shows, if I'm like on an airplane and I see like some of these new shows that are being produced to these like 20 year olds being just so, you know, like dressed in these big <laughs> Marvel costumes and they're just like, they're saving the world and they're talking like this and there's you know, and everything things. is super definitive and crisp. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. So like in the, you know, it was a nice, a happy place for you to find Christopher Guest, those movies, I would think, because that, oh, yeah. I would imagine his process has a lot. Although you did say that people complain that he like <laughs> films way more than he actually uses. There was 80, <laughs> 80 hours in uh, Waiting for Guffman that he had to whittle down a movie to, you know, an hour and 15 minutes, however long it was. And the first cut, he had cut himself out of. And his producer, Karen Murphy, was like, you know, would you talk to Chris to put himself back in the movie? Because he would get so he'd get sick of himself. I read an interview uh, or a snippet of an interview with like Mark Ribot, who's the guitarist for Tom Waits. Uh, and he was talking about Tom Waits' creative process. And he's like, you'll record, you know, this absolutely pristine guitar solo and you'll spend hours and hours crafting and perfecting it. And then Tom will run it through a My Fisher Price first <laughs> tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't resist. Oh, I love Tom Waits. Yeah, you mentioned him yeah. briefly in the book. Yeah. I forget. You, my someone Uncle Mark. looks like him. Your yeah, uncle. my Uncle Mark was like synonymous to Tom Waits. Those album covers I remembered, you know, like Closing Time and Small Change. Yeah, Tom, yeah. Tom sitting there all like yeah, loo with that, loosh with his pork pie hat. That's his little, right, like, his stubble, <laughs> like a stripper with like 
star pasties yeah, on yeah, her yeah. boobs. You know, like, who are these people? You know, I loved the 70s so much. So, you know, when you're living in the public eye, there is, I mean, I think about this with any life, with any life. I lost someone close to me a couple of years ago, and I was oh. thinking about how, specifically in the context of when a life ends, we look at life as a narrative, you know, mm -hmm. and we're sort of like, we just have this, because we're storytelling beings, we mm -hmm. just have this tendency to like, look at the narrative and to understand the life in terms of the narrative. Like, where did it start? Where did it go next? What were the high points? What were the low points? And where did it end up? And then mm -hmm. it's all wrapped up yeah, in a nice bow. Yeah, we can wrap bow. it up, yeah. Yeah, and I was wondering though, like, you know, when you're living in the public eye, you're constantly listening to some or, you know, or trying not to listen to some narrative of your own That's life right. unfolding. Yeah. And so my question is like for you, how, how do you navigate that? And how do you like, how do I have suffer? A life? How no, do I suffer that? Well, ideally, I mean, there is some suffering clearly. I mean, it comes up. No, it's evident. You're it's alienating, you know, yeah. it's just alienating period. And I think, and I do think about the work that I've had to do and that famous people do or don't, I don't know, it's like you create blinders and then the blinders kind of make you even more eccentric than you already were or are. <laughs> I was gonna then, say, ideally there has to be some way that that's not, not a, a purely defensive, you know, like if it's gonna it's a feel like a life natural. to you. There, yeah, yeah. I think it's a natural, you know, thing that is, that I've created that for, for myself. So I can be a free person. So I can be free. We want to be free. Right, right, right. And um, right. I mean, that's the that's the thing. So, but what do I, yeah, 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 I'm so because I'm when listening. people come from out of town, who enjoy, you know, and who doesn't enjoy like uh, getting into restaurants or like, oh my god, that person recognized you. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Did you see that person? Their heads whipped back, and they were like, oh, blah, blah. they they saw it. And I'm like, I honestly didn't see. Like, I did not see it. It's like a Teflon. You, you make a Teflon. I mean, there's a part of you that obviously naturally wanted that at some age. Yeah, you know. I told my grandmother, Naughty, I was going to be a famous movie star. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> it's the, you know. That's and I the, bet sometimes, depending on what mood you're in, it feels good. Like, oh, I'm small, you, I'm small town. I want to connect. I'm like Mr. Yeah, yeah, Rogers, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Who are the people in my neighborhood? Right. You know, I love that. And I've always been like that. And I've never, that's never changed about me. And it will never change. It's why I like going into sets and working in film and, and creating something with other people. It's just very simple. Fame, I think, is a thing in our culture now that has a very different meaning uh, uh -huh. than, it, than it ever has been. Uh -huh. And it's not, it doesn't seem to have a lot of heart. You know? <laughs> yeah, so like in the golden era of film, you picture famous. Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant. Right. And this male female union and how witty they were and how erotic and charged and the chemistry between them was just like they were so smart and they were so classy. And what happened? And you celebrity know? is like, you know, in that context is giving average people or non-celebrities hope or a certain beauty right. in their life. <clears throat> Whereas you mentioned reality TV, I feel like we had that. Then we had rock stars, right? Mm -hmm. And and rock stars gave us kind of both sides of it because a lot of rock stars would publicly implode, you know? And so suddenly we started to get the gossip and the dark side of that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then And then we got reality TV which was sort of all about, let's not only look at humanity's flaws, but let's actually take delight in suffering. In <laughs> let's a make sense. them happen. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. Let's make them and, happen. And so now I feel like our celebrities, like, you know, we create them, you know, the culture creates them sort of only to chew them up. Um, I know someone who works in reality TV, and um, I asked him what, you know, I think it was Real, Real Housewives, that they couldn't take it, you know, and they 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 left because they started to huh. see the effect of what it, these women were going through, you know, cr crying in the car of like, what have I done? I've opened myself up in this way that's, you know, is this me? Is it not me? And um, the active manipulation and back to like this reptilian kind of right, snaky right, kind right, of right. like brain of like, wanting to watch, you know, people be eaten Suffer, alive yeah, yeah. and not be human beings anymore. And there's, a, it's happening behind the camera, you know, that's being orchestrated 
is being manipulated. And you know what's sad about that? I think that the reason people have that impulse, I mean, some people may just be psychopaths, but I think that the reason that there is that impulse in the culture is people feeling like they aren't free to be vulnerable themselves and mm -hmm. resenting that and being very bitter and angry on some mm -hmm. level and sort of wanting to see vulnerability in, in other people in a sort of perverse form. You yeah, know? yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. <laughs> what I like another, the positive spin on that is, you know, like HGTV and how they're like uh, I love taking those shows. over. Yeah, because they we watch those and we we start to build the house inside of us. You know, we start to repair. We start to Queer Eye. Have you seen Queer Eye? I've heard so much about it, but I haven't watched it I, yet. I, 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 it's the kind of show that my 20-year-old self would have completely sneered at, at the concept of, yeah, yeah, because yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is so stupid. People making each other, how superficial, whatever. Mm -hmm. It is the most beautiful thing. Like, it's wonderful. These five gay men swoop into some town, typically in rural Georgia, mm -hmm. and like deal quite openly with if there's backlash or weirdness or whatever. And I don't know, just the human connection. Yeah, they're across alive. The abyss, they're meeting you know, like, each other. You know, yeah. they're actively like, you know, we're gonna bridge this gap right now. I don't care what you believe in. You have a house and we're going to help you. Right. I mean, that's very basic. It's a wonderful idea. I watched the original one, but and I've heard about this new one and I'm going to go into uh, a rabbit hole and watch that. <laughs> but yeah, that like positive human side actually celebrating good stuff, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. to, even when it's difficult, you know, even when... I mean, not to go on and on about Queer Eye, but they have there are very painful moments on that show, but mm -hmm. it's not about... Is it with gawking the, at someone's suffering? It's you know. That's it's, right. It's yeah. like how they have to deal with the uncomfortable bit to get to the good bit. Were you a fan of CBS's uh, Sunday Morning and Charles Kuralt on the road? You know, he traveled in like a Winnebago and went across America, and they featured woodworkers and basket weavers and you know men building like chairs from the Adirondacks and Marie's Diner in. And she's so wonderful, and it's you know it's still a dollar twenty-five to eat lunch here, and and they just uh, little you see, sort of mini documentaries about ordinary. Look at these lives, nice like, people. Yeah, yeah. Like these people are are really nice, and they're kind, and they have manners, and there's none of that going on right now. It's like, but which but is and, crazy. And, 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 and that's exactly what a you know uh, not again not to turn this into an extended advertisement for Queer Eye, but there was like a woman. There's this woman in this church community, mm -hmm. and she is she's an extremely religious woman mm -hmm. whose son is gay, and who when he first came out, that was like a problem mm -hmm. for her. But she's like absolutely nobody in my immediate demographic she's right. anybody I've ever known whatever mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she's in a demographic that admittedly as a like coastal elite mm -hmm. I would likely assume all kinds of mm -hmm. you know small-minded yeah. stuff about oh you know probably super bigoted super this super that she was pure oh, pure light I was yeah. like I would take I would take five minutes with her over a lifetime of 90% of the other people I've ever met. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's not about... That's right. ...those, the external, <clears throat> the demographics. It's That's about right. the person. You yeah. Know? I have, you know, relatives from the South and friends from the South, and they come up, and I know I'm living a wild life. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't go to church every Sunday. <laughs> but not, they still love me, Yeah. Um, fitting in the in the church mold, you're you're yeah. you're you're elapsed. <clears throat> yeah, I was raised Catholic. Catholic. Yeah, my mom's Roman Catholic. Yeah, yeah. So I was yes. too. You were raised Catholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. My my father's from sort of atheist Jewish uh, Jews, Ashkenazi Jews, and my mom's Roman Catholic Italian. That's so. amazing. So so you were you grew up in <clears throat> you grew up in Catholicism. Yeah. Once a Catholic by six, you're a Catholic forever. <laughs> <clears throat> Have you heard that expression? I haven't. I was a Catholic until. 13. I was wow, I was literally I li I recall age 13 watching the Jesus statue and half wishing half believing it was moving. Oh yeah, I did that all the did time. Did you do that? Yeah. yeah. And there were like the stations of the cross, you know, that were like <laughs> plaques in the <laughs> in the church. Yeah, yeah. And I would stare at them. I was like, when I look at that, when I see a ghost, you know, like you can you stare at it enough and then it becomes something else. Is it watching you else. back or something? Yeah, all yeah. that. It's all that. I mean. 
but some of that catechism stuff was so crazy. I mean, because, you know, they're telling you a magic story. And like, if you're a serious person, you're going to want to figure out, is it true in yeah, some way? You that's know? right. So I'm just like, I literally hallucinated a couple of times that Jesus moved his arm. <laughs> yeah. And I think that I saw a miniature Virgin Mary at the water fountain. And I have talked to other Catholics who have had... Similar, Similar hallucinations. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Like, yeah, she was on my fork when I was eight years old. You know, that the kids, and I dated um, <laughs> someone in college who hallucinated a salamander in the fire and told his father Ooh. about it. That's more pagan kind of, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, kids can... Uh, really create and imagine all sorts of things. That's right. I taught at a camp one summer called Camp Rainbow. Oh, And wow. um, we played with fairies, my nine-year-old boys, and we had this whole fairy game that came to life. Oh, that's it was, you, it was amazing. Oh, yeah, my God. Can, I, can I be transported back in time, and can you be my camp counselor? <laughs> sure. The idea we of had, Parker Posey, the camp and counselor. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> we slayed dragons, <laughs> you know, Pinka and Bolka lived under the buttercup <laughs> flower, the bottom of a tree wow. with, the, with the matchbook. And there was their little boat. We found sticks. We made this whole story up oh my with God. them. It was an improv. Yeah, it was an improvisation. That's wonderful. And they were just so, and it really freaked me out. You know, I burst into tears afterwards. I was like, this was the trippiest thing I've ever oh, really? experienced. But you were the counselor. You I were, was you the were counselor, the but then I, I know, charge. but then I went to my counselor, <laughs> so his name was Graham. And he was like, yes, children are in touch with children who've had a rough time mm. from a very early age, their imaginations are very active and they come into play even more. And there was this little boy, Danny, who had like a purple must, Kool-Aid mustache. And I knew he really played with fairies. Like mm. I, I knew this, you know, and I would, do you play with fairies when you're in, in Brooklyn? You know, he got, no. And that he admitted to me at the end of camp, it's like, there is a park that I go to. I was like, oh my God. And I visited him in, in Brooklyn, and he, uh, you know, his imagination. I mean, I played in, I played in trees. I played in the grass. I, I didn't see mm -hmm. fairies. I didn't think, I mean, we both saw, did you see Jesus? Or yeah, did I you saw see moving Virginia? Jesus. No. <laughs> <laughs> Mary wasn't sort of in my, like, <clears throat> iconography, really. I don't Why know. not? I don't know. Like, in this suburban Maryland Catholic church, like, it wasn't about Mary that much. Catholics are all about Mary. I'm not, so not in ours. Not, not in this Roman Catholic church. Maybe as you move south, because I know, oh, like, yeah. in, you know, I know the, I well, know the in Bloody Mexico Mary. they go, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also they Mary? drink the Bloody Mary, yes. you know. Uh, it's but isn't spicy that, isn't that because of the Queen Mary who was like beheading people? Oh, not in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> did you listen to Jesus Christ Superstar? I have heard it. Oh. I'm not a big fan. You but, but you know. know all the words. Yeah, you I said. know everything. I'm trying to think. What musical did I nerd out on? Um, hair. I liked hair. My parents had like a terrible record collection, but, uh, but <laughs> like what? Like like a lot of moody blues, which is just sort of like vague, trippy music, but not. They didn't take <laughs> enough acid for it to be, you know, w worthy. Would they of play the, the records all the time though? <laughs> no, they... no, well, no. So okay, they did love Billy Joel and like the old oh, Billy Joel, God. the old, old stuff. Yeah, and that that stuff was good. Like I grew, oh, I grew, I grew up with great? those records. The and, storytelling in those songs with him and the brick wall. Yeah, it's like he's so. Cute. Cute. Or like um, Turnstiles, that album is so good. And so, I mean, there were a couple, but then like they loved Janice Ian, which I can't, oh, I can't yeah, really get yeah, behind Janice Ian. No, like it's like, I could. it's like Joan Baez, like it just kind of collapses oh, into yeah. a dark. Did they have Joan Baez too? Not so much. My, but, we had a Joan Baez album. But they did have the cast album of Hair, which was That's awesome. That's a big deal. That yeah. was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And totally inappropriate for whatever age I was when I first started. <laughs> I know, we were like seven. My cousin Samantha and I were like seven or eight, like um, Manchester, like England. Yeah. yeah. Like, LSD, PCP, <laughs> Nazi, Hana. N knew all the words, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, mamas do not let your babies get hold of the <laughs> Hair original cast album. Um, it's so free, though. I loved Hair. I love I love a lot of that music Ugh. of the '60s. I know you're a Dylan fan. Yeah, too. big big yeah, Bob yeah, Dylan yeah, yeah, fan. Yeah. Have you ever seen Bob Dylan play? I've seen him maybe three times. I think the first time was in the 80s, which was wow. a weird moment for him because like <clears throat> the sound system was so loud and his voice was a mess at that moment. So right. you couldn't actually hear anything he said. But then then I saw him do a free show that you had to kind of camp out to get tickets for in New York. And, and it was like upright bass and just acoustic and stuff. He's so free on stage. And it's like people are crawling out of the woodwork. And did you, have you ever seen him do this? Like, get over here. Like someone just comes running on stage no, and starts no. playing. Where was this? Where did you um, see him? This was in New York somewhere. Okay. I forget where. But I think he played a Star Wars theme in the beginning <laughs> before the show. But I was like, yeah, not like maybe after a certain amount of time it is just like sound and noise and like mm -hmm. and you have to find your the meaning all over again I mean it must I, be I think you know like it's different for an actor because you're not acting the same role over and over again mm -hmm. you know but for him I mean like he always he makes up new lyrics he does oh, new yeah. arrangements I, didn't know I that. think yeah. he's he you know to old songs he'll rewrite the lyrics yeah. on the fly and I think he I am assuming he does that to keep trying to break out of the prison yep, yep. of the persona of the songs, you know, yeah, 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 which yeah. has to be a lifelong struggle. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever hear Blood on the Tapes? Ryan Adams, when I was dating yeah. him, turned me on to this. And I, I don't know what happened to it, but it's a acoustic recordings of Blood on the Tracks. Oh, shit. I'm, oh, I'm my writing God. that down. I mean, it is. <laughs> I'm writing it down. <sighs> Big Idiot Wind. That song. And the thing, you just. I, the lyrics wow. of that song haunt me. Like, like <sighs> you know, what's good is bad, what's bad is, is good. good. You'll find out when you reach the top, top. you're on mm -hmm. the bottom. I think about I that. I know. Yeah. I think me about too. I get haunted yeah, by that. Yeah, he's lyrics. like, um, he was a, a father figure to me, you know, as, mm. a, as, a, as, a, as a little girl. Oh, yeah. And my, well, my, and my dad, you know, my dad, he worked hard, you know, he had a car dealership and he wasn't home a lot. And, but, you know, I was had the the headphones and and uh loved to listen to albums and mm. was turning them on the record player when from a young age and just listening to the stories of oh god lily rosemary and the jack of hearts mm. like yeah yeah I that love. album blood on the god. tracks is, yeah it's incredible but yeah find find that i wonder if that's and, and i've looked for it too and i can't find the blood blood on the tapes i don't know where where that is not to ramble forever about about music but Paul Simon's going to do his last concert ever, ever, allegedly, in Queens in September. Amazing. I just got tickets yesterday. I'm <clears> like, so... Did you see Graceland at BAM? No, but what I did see was his free concert in Central Park after the, uh, during the Rhythm of the Saints tour. There yes. was like 500,000 people there. I don't know. He For me, he occupies a space yeah, similar in my heart. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. When I saw him, okay, so he hadn't seen, you know, he brought that world music. No one was doing that at that time of, um, of, right. of Graceland. Which, of course, now the snarky progressive left would, like, leap on and call cultural appropriation or something. <laughs> but, like, oh, the white man is profiting off of this music. But actually, he kind of made that band famous and that music yeah. famous. Yeah, yeah. Lots of good stuff happened for those musicians. That's but, right. That's you know, right. Anyway. So they hadn't seen each other in 25 years. And um, he went out on stage and it just his, you know, spirit hands, you know, how he's like acting out the stories. Just like, ah, oh, it's his... the best at this speed, too. And these women who would, you know, he's like, I haven't seen these performers in 25 years. Wow. And they would uh, come so, on stage and just look at each other with so much love in their eyes and just love, like, thank you for this song. My my pleasure, my joy to like be able to sing this. And so you can I mean, see what, what, a, like, what a big deal it was. There's no more pure way in a sense of doing that kind of cross-cultural connection than like taking two musics and making a new music, a yeah. new kind of music yeah. out of it. Like, yeah. Yeah, the language of that, yeah, that's yeah. so special. Being a musician is like a, a call to go to that instrument and, and, that, and that place to... For, especially for, for anxious people who talk a lot, like mm -hmm. the instrument is such, it's just like, shut up. Mm -hmm. Pick up the yeah. instrument, shut up, yeah. and let the instrument yeah. talk, you know? Yeah, that's, just that's right. Such that's a, a great relief. way of looking like, at it. 
Because, yeah, when I was dating Ryan, I mean, he is someone who, who talks a lot, has so much energy. But, and yeah, and so the drive to the musician to go to that guitar be like, well, I got to pick this up. It's got to talk back to me. I know I'm going to talk to it, you know? And that's kind of it. That's the spirit. Yeah. You know? That's the makeup. Break you out of those um, prisons that you make for yourself with words, mm -hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good place for us to go to the second part of the show. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this for the audience as much as for you. We are going to watch a couple of surprise interview clips from Big Things Archives. I don't know what they're about. You don't know. We haven't watched them. They're picked by the video team. Uh -huh. And we'll just go wherever the conversation goes from there. Oh, cool. No pressure. Not a quiz for either of us. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so this first one is coming at a very interesting moment in the America that we both live in, and it's called, the clip is called, Are Lives Around the Globe Just as Valuable as American Lives? Um, to which I think the answer seems obvious, but let's see what he has to say. This is Danny Sjursen, S-J-U-R-S-E-N, Military Strategy and History is the title they've given him here. really interested in that question, and, and, I'm, and I'm glad you brought it up. This is, this is a question of how do Americans value life? Is every life equally valuable to an American? I would argue it's not, and there, there's some evidence of that. Uh, we know precisely how many Americans have been killed in uniform since 9-11. We know the number. There's a website that will tell you tomorrow what the number is to the, to the last man. But tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of Iraqis, Afghans, Yemenis, Somalis have died not always at our hands, often in internecine warfare, but we, we can hardly count. And the American people hardly care exactly how many civilians died in the last drone strike or exactly how many Iraqis died in the course of the Civil War. It, it seems that the American people are completely disjointed from this war. If they take a moment to think on it, it's just enough to wave a flag, stick a bumper sticker on their car with a yellow ribbon, maybe stand for the pledge and you know, clap for the latest service member on the field in the NFL. Most Americans aren't paying any attention to the military. And, and I'll say, I think, one reason why this is. Okay, one part is race. There's no denying it. Okay, this is very uncomfortable people to deal with. But we fight brown people. Okay, usually we fight Arabs, we fight uh, Pashto uh, in Afghanistan, and, and other ethnic groups. Okay, these people don't necessarily look like the traditional American, and so their lives have less value. How do we know this? Okay, when there is a terrorist attack in Belgium, and say 20 people are killed, well, those are Europeans, right? They kind of look like Americans. It's days of coverage. Every single individual face is on the screen, even if they're not American citizens, okay? Every Caucasian face is accounted for when there's a terrorist attack. And it's the narrative for days, which is hard to do in this news cycle. But what about the next day when 140 people are killed in Turkey in a terrorist attack, also perpetrated by ISIS, also perpetrated on innocent people? We will never see the faces of those Turks. We might not even get the exact number. They'll say, uh, approximately 140 people were killed in an attack, and it's going to be on the Chiron. And so I think we have to ask ourselves a question, which is, if America is truly to be engaged around the world, as we are, with hundreds of military bases abroad, we're the only people that do this, by the way, if we are to be so engaged in the world, then I can't help but wonder if we ought to be uh, more sensitive to the value of life in the regions of which we are either occupiers, invaders, or humanitarians, depending on your point of view. I'm not even gonna necessarily weigh in on that. I think it's a little bit of both, or a little of all of that. But I, I think you bring up a great question, which is, you know, American lives clearly matter. But if we truly believe that all lives matter, we sure don't act like it in the media space. And that, that disturbs someone like me who grew to love Iraqis and Afghans, especially Iraqis, who are the first people that I really dealt with in uniform. And, and I fell in love with these people, because you know what most of them want to do? They want to wake up, they want to go to work, they want to take care of a family, and they're innocent. They're as innocent and as valuable as we are as Americans, and, and we're in their countries. We are guests, 
okay? Often uninvited guests, but we are guests. And I think it's really important to value life there. I don't think we do enough of it uh, at home or abroad. I don't know. I mean, we're all victim to these t this time right now. And we need medicine. We need medicine, a medicinal approach to news, to media, to communications. I mean, he's upset and rightfully upset, but it's also presumptuous. Why? How, how, how so? can we yeah. measure, you know, how can we measure, you know, my empathy towards and my upsetness at what's going on right now? Well, you mean he's presuming that people that don't, care. don't care? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and again, it's this everybody that we all seem to be talking about. You know what, everybody's saying this, and everyone's this, and no one cares about this, and, and everyone just needs to be this, and you know, everyone, every, and we're just, we're so upset at this. But who is this everyone? I don't subscribe to this everyone. And Things are happening so fast now, and they're happening on such a scale mm -hmm. that I think I do think it's unfair, actually, it to, to blame people for being unable, even if people are fully unable to process the horror of a lot of what goes on, which I think we are. I think most of us yeah. are unable to. I mean, you literally don't have enough hours in the day, enough brain cells, enough you know wherewithal to survive as a human being without having a nervous breakdown to process every piece of horror that is coming to us you know, in the 24 hours news cycle. If it's he, true, it's true because it's too damn much. You know? I understand how and why he feels unhinged. Yeah. But there's a, there's a different way to talk about it. It's oversaturated. It feels, you know, we're feeling more alone and alienated from each other. I see the horror. I feel the horror. But also there is so much beauty. Let us continue making beauty. Like let us, let us make, you know. It's our responsibility you know, let to it, make the medicine. And But that said, I'm talking to you the day after the Supreme Court Justice Kennedy announced his retirement, which for America means... Not only that we have, you know, a political party in power that like is putting a big sort of umbrella over us of of what to me feels like a, a suffocating cloud of mm -hmm. winding the clock back yeah, 50, 100 years. years, whatever. But the Supreme Court, the balance of the Supreme Court, which will shape law in this country for 30 years to come. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. so I'm feeling a little like, I mean, it's all been horrible, but a yeah. lot of it I could still process in the way you're saying, like, you know, what I know how to do, there's a medicine I know how to make. That's what I well, should do. Well, you're an do. agent of change, right? You have agency and you're like, I am part of change. And that is the way I cannot become unhinged. I can feel connected and I can feel like I'm, I'm doing good work. And with the darkness and with the devil, <laughs> it's that energy brings the light and it has to. And that's how those monster stories work. It does spark something. The monster does have us have to make things, have to be strong. Are you listening? Are you really listening? Or are you seduced? Right. Are you responsible? And what can we make? You know, what can we make? You know, I went upstate like three, four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been there since, because I've been so busy with the book since February. And, and the poppies were in bloom. And I was just so humbled. I just started crying. I was like, I hadn't seen that red in my garden. And like, that's everything, you know? I, it's so funny you should just say Just the little things. And it's everyone has that. And when they were children, we all have that simple nature. It's so funny you should say that because I, I was upstate just last weekend and it was, it was for two days and it was the longest time I had spent out of the city uh, in like, I don't know how long. Uh, and I just, you feel yourself unfolding yeah. and you're just like, this Medicine. is what we need because in the city, the energy is always about what can you yourself time. create? Well, yeah, time. time, right. And control, like mm -hmm. how, what, what do I do with my time? What's next? And yeah. what should I be doing right now? In the relationships, you know, that you have too. It's just like, am I just your hour and a half today because you're spinning out <laughs> and everyone's kind of spinning out and you want to meet for lunch and I can 
<laughs> I can watch your head fly off your body, you know, and spin around and your insides right. Right. go all over the place. Yeah. Or do you want to pick my brain? You know, like, what is this? And I just find myself more and more just like, just wanting to sit, you know, or just be just like, can we just like chill out? But Not on the podcast. No, no, well, I mean, we, but we are talk. chilling out too. Yeah, we are. We are. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really good place to go to the second and final Dude, of yep. our two. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, this is somebody that I know that you enjoy. This is um, Nick Offerman, yeah, the actor. And so he's described here as actor, writer, woodworker. I know mm-hmm. he's all of those things. I believe he's also a musician. And it says, don't sacrifice what you love just to achieve your dreams. That's what it's called. Let's see. So quite frequently in Los Angeles, when I would go to a big audition for like a TV pilot or something that like really would change my life, it's incredibly stressful. You're just doing your best for days to keep your cool. You go do the thing and it's invariably for a room full of bankers. So it's a a terrible room. Usually with me, I'm trying to get a laugh and they're all like, they all have their abacuses out and they're like, well, in Maxim Magazine, it's, uh, he has a mustache that's 17 points. And, uh, and you leave, and it's just inscrutable. You're like, I, I have no idea how I did, which, is, which is, gives you a lot of stress and, and a lot of agita. So I would go straight to my shop and just start sanding a walnut table. And after just an hour of that, I'd put on some music, and I would see the tangible result of this work that I had done. That's the thing is... There's no way to describe the sensation. There's magic in it. Whether you're, whether you're working with glass or metals or food or knitting or wood, you're, you're making something better than it was. It was a pile of stuff, and now it's a lasagna. <laughs> and you've done that with, with your magic powers. And so anything in this realm, I, I have found it to be life-saving and the thing is, it's, uh, it's antithetical to what we're taught about business, and especially about show business. Show business, you're supposed to hustle all the time. You're supposed to beat people's doors down and be flashy and selling yourself. And I was never able to do that stuff. If people weren't going to give me jobs based on the merit of the work I was doing, I wasn't interested in selling myself beyond that. And so... I, I, I didn't do this because I was wise. I did this, I tricked myself into this by listening to the right teachers. By going away and working in my wood shop, that gave me a mellow demeanor to the point that I no longer cared as much about the TV shows. Also related to this movie, I mean, this is the theme for me of this movie, is if you are having dilemmas in your life, if you're experiencing loss or there's any kind of trauma or tragedy, it's something we all have to deal with at some point. As long as you focus on the love relationships in your life and the health of them, and that health could mean screaming at each other and saying, I'm sick of you, how you leave the toothpaste cap off, or whatever it is. That's, that is healthy. You're working it out so you can live together and love one another, whether it's your mom or your daughter or your, your spouse or your sibling. If you focus and maintain the health of those relationships, everything else is going to be okay. You may lose your job. You may get another job. That doesn't matter. Jobs will come and go, but you want that love relationship to always matter. And in this movie, my character Frank learns that if he, if he makes the right decision and focuses on his love relationship, he'll, his dream will always be there. His dream is playing music. And in my life, by chilling myself out in my wood shop, amazingly, when I got my big break, they said, oh, we're, this is, I, we love your wood shop. We're going to make him a woodworker. And somehow my woodworking, my antidote to show business became part of my persona and now I have a campaign uh, doing commercials for a glue company so if you want to get in if you want to get on stage uh, learn how to use a chisel 
Yeah, I, I, I love him. Yeah, I knew I, him before he got the show. I knew him when Megan met him as a as a woodworker. Oh yeah, he made furniture. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, Megan Mullally. Okay, okay, they're married. Right, right. And, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I love what he's talking about. He was a woodworker before he just solely a woodworker before he was an actor. Yeah, he, yeah. he built furniture. Right, right. And he did theater stuff and probably groundlings or stuff like that. I forget how he and right, Megan right. met each other. But I love that. I love what he's saying. I, I do pottery. So yeah, I, I was totally going to talk with about her. that. It's like, yeah. You just have to keep making, you know, whether or not you get to be in the room and the, the room that he was talking about, if those those bankers and their their numbers and the how inscrutable it is. You, you never know how the dice is going to be thrown. You just you have no idea. But you got to have that place to... Whether you, you know, you, you go to the pottery studio or you pick up an instrument, like to right. constantly be making, right? That's really what he's saying. And to said. know that you have the right to do that, regardless of whether somebody is, whether it's been greenlit or, right. or not, you right. know? Like to know that there's a place you can go and you can just indulge in that, that energy and mm-hmm. without permission. So woodworking, right? You have trees. You have so many different kinds of wood. And every piece of wood has a different personality and a different malleability. And I went to some um, program up, I think it was at, uh, I don't know, some some club up in in Midtown somewhere. And there was a wood wood turner. And he, his thing was wood turning a piece of wood that it was so thin. Mm. You know, and a lathe is very dangerous, which you used right. to, to wood turn. Right, you were you made some joke about that in your book, like that if you yeah. were wood turning, you'd, that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd end lose, up amputated yeah, with amputated I had no, fingers. I had no fingers. <laughs> 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 but you turn it on the lathe and then hold it up to a light bulb, and right. that, was, that was it. So it was like dried by a light bulb oh, wow. and with his with his hand. Wow. I just thought that was such a beautiful, as it was poetry, right? So he's, he's, you're finding your own poetry and that's the space in, in which you make, in which you make things. I like and the, you can make anything, you know, you can make things with string. I liked the way that you talked about pottery in the book. You, how long have you been making pottery? Um, not, not that long, <clears> right? Or it's like the early few, aughts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. A few a decades. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you were talking about the sort of Zen of it in a way, mm. like how you basically get in touch with the clay and find that sort of sweet spot where it doesn't spin out of control, where you actually kind of have that control, not control. That's right. And you know it inside. You know, everyone yeah. has the center. Like when you learn, you know, whether it's woodworking or everything, once you get to that center place, that's everything. It's a cosmic feeling. It hits you in your soul, you know, when you're when you're in the work of craft. And and for me, it's just it's 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 everything. Like I'd love to learn how to weave baskets, do any that space and What's nice about crafts too, as an art, as opposed to say music or or theater, well, is that it's is that it's a is that it's a craft, and that it's the focus is not so much on the craftsperson as it is on the thing. That is not to say there aren't brilliant, talented craftspeople. Of course, there are, but it's about the thing. That's right, not and you, it's so you know? old too. You yeah. know, it's like. And you're, you're not like, you know, oh, I got to sell this. It's just got to be the best thing ever. It's right. like you're a student, yeah. you're a student to, to the world of, of, of wood turning or of pottery or um, a painting, you know, or watercolors, you know, like the world of watercolors, like yeah. a technique that's so hard, you know. Oh, I'd it's love very to, hard to control I'd watercolors. I'd love to learn yeah. Ikebana. Like that's like What's Japanese oh. floral arrangement. Oh, it's so it's funny like you brought that up that. because I was exactly just about to talk about Japan and how I admire mm. their kind of approach to craftsmanship and the, and the just like the patience, the yeah. patience and the repetition to achieve mastery and the kind of, I don't know, subversion of, of ego that that requires, yeah. you know. And Ikebana is like, it, you know, it's harmony. So what, and I've just like read a little about it and I talk about it in the book and um, just a little bit. My grandmother Nani had these books and she was into like the Asian, you know, <laughs> stuff and she, you know, never been there. But 
Yeah, how a branch in relation to the flower is like mm. the mountain and the sun and the moon. And so it all as a, a visual to look at cre- is like this this harmony. Balanced landscape. Yeah, this balanced yeah. landscape. And you can't really go wrong with that. I suppose you could make Ikebana out of anything if you knew <laughs> twigs and <laughs> food and dinner plates and yeah I don't know how like I was talking about this with a friend who's a sculptor he works in mm-hmm. wood he works in wood and and does these elaborate constructions Tom Beale is his name he makes these elaborate sort of abstract wooden sculptures that are absolutely beautiful with found wood like driftwood that he polishes and it's like tens of thousands of pieces that he puts together cool and and he had spent time in Japan on a fellowship, and we were talking about this thing about perfectionism, because there is kind of a there is kind of a paradox there. Like I wonder in Ikebana, for example, how they judge success. I would imagine that they're relatively hard on themselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's not a thing of like, oh yeah, we just do whatever, whatever man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, not so much the the American sense of freedom. You know, that's right. But I was really talking about like just the placement of different of different objects in different shapes. Right. In relation to the table. Right. Right. You know. Sure. Like I think that kind of harmony, even though it's not like Ikebana. But it probably has that, that kind of, you know, the landscape. Sense of and, aesthetic balance. Yeah, that and, sense of, yeah, of balance. When I was, you know, writing and stuff, I was really into, like, placing my objects in my apartment. You know, everything had to be tight and, you know, nice you, and, like, a peaceful. Yeah. The space, is that, was that something that you, you don't normally <clears throat> spend as much time on as you well, were when you like were writing? Well, I didn't feel like I had enough time, you know, yeah. to... And you're in your apartment a lot, so you're stuck there. Right. Um, I mean, at least I felt I was stuck there. And so my editing time and my writing time had another balance of, like, organizing and... But also, like, creating the space in that way must have... I think when you clean you and you do all well. that, yeah, you ha- that that's what happens. That's the other, that's the balance, you know, like I'll do the actual writing, but then everything else is like supports the work, whether it's, you know, walking around, looking at, you know, the Container Store magazine. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was thinking you know? though that it's like, so it's both, I mean, it's both an intellectual mental break, right? Physical break as well. But it's also the, you're creating the context, the space around you in which you, in which you're going to write. And so that mm-hmm. has to change the way the writing itself mm-hmm. feels that you're in this environment that you've made balanced in the way that you're talking about. Yeah. You make it a, a cushion for yourself. You make it all nice. This is your first book, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was what was? I, I'm sure I won't be able to answer it. What? No, but I'm I'm just curious. Like, how did you approach it? It must have been. I mean, how did I, I? I get the sense that you very deliberately did not write a sort of linear memoir. That you 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 told yourself that right. that would be a kind of a trap you didn't want to be in. But the truth like, is, like, I think. Uh, I, I had stories. I had stories that were, I mean, the schizophrenic that I met in in Watford, England, who happened to rattle off the numbers of, of my birthday and call me his twin when I have a twin brother was, and his name was Simon, like Simon says, you know, it's like that I just remembered while I was writing it. These things take on a poetry when you remember. And I've had these stories that have been, uncanny and um and, and they funny don't and they way. don't fit together they're they, they don't naturally because of their nature they don't they don't fit together in some sort of simple narrative in a, yeah, yeah in a linear thing it's more like a kaleidoscope like a collage really, and a or collage yeah. or yeah there's you know dark and light and gray and that was it was um it felt very you know very diy for me like was it fun was it torture was it both it was, yeah, it was, it was lots of agony and torture and like, how can I even do this? You know, I had the orphan experience and that the imprint at Blue Rider Press closed. But before that, my editor left and, um, and then it closed. And but so I had that wonderful oh, wow. time of thinking that she left the business because of me. And <laughs> <laughs> so that was like. That was hard um, to, because I, of course, I was convinced, like I could just, you know, hear her dialogue, like, ah, oh, 
an actress memoir. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I know so many more better writers deserving of a book deal. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, I don't blame you. So sorry. Well, I had to do something else. So I, I did. But back to your question, it was like, <laughs> I think the stories do just, just happen. And it felt like, you know, the right time to look back on my life. And, and it was, I'd start early in the morning a lot, and then I'd go to sleep at night. And it was like taking care of a baby. I'd mm. wake up excited to be like, oh, yeah, I had this dream. <laughs> and that was the other thing. Like, your whole psyche opens up. You dream it, you know? Mm. And it happens with acting, too. And you have these dreams. And I share them in the book and it's it's yeah, ridiculous your, your family my, stories are amazing my matt damon dream where like, <laughs> oh, i mean yeah. that really happened but then it connected to you know this catholic folk parish band right. that i grew up with you know in louisiana and just these things that happen when you unearth your your little history and it is agonizing and it's scary you become a very solid solitary person so, and then no one understands and that you're walking around carrying this I, big thing and you really want someone to hold your hand and understand, but how could that be? You know, so it's a very... I talked to the, I talked to the writer Neil Gaiman recently mm -hmm. and he was talking about how he has to arrange his life such that after a novel, after a book project, he does something like show running on a TV show because otherwise... He says, I become, you go in for three years, you become a total hermit. Like yeah. you forget how to talk to people. That's like, right. Yeah. That's right. And I, I felt that, you know, yeah. I felt that. And then, and it happened so quickly, you know, so I started, I saw the proposal. I got lost in space three, three weeks later. And then I was away for seven or eight months shooting. I came back, met a new editor and that was last July. Mm. So it was like, this will all happen you know, very quickly. Mm. And yeah, on the cover, I'm holding a lightning bolt made of cardboard. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, this is about, this is about energy and about whatever my, my nature and the speed in which it was done. And, and that's okay. No, it, it's a, it's a wonderful whirling, like wild, chaotic, refreshing book that I think only you, you. you could have. And I don't yet. use a lot of big words and Everyone will be able to read it. <laughs> I mean, I just turned it in two weeks ago. It's too soon for me to come out into the world, is what I'm saying. But I'm just starting to feel liberated, well, you know, so. It's, it's welcome back. Thank I, you. I, I, I'm, I'm honored to have been one of the first conversations outside of in your, the real your, world. your writer cave. Parker Posey, thanks so much for being Thank on you. Think Again Thank today. Thank you so much. And that is this week's Think Again. Thank you so much for joining us. That was a blast for me. Sort of like being up at 4 a.m. for one of those college conversations, but with Parker Posey. I've got three more very different episodes coming your way to round out our summer season. And then we'll be taking a hiatus for three weeks and we'll be back in the fall and already have a bunch of very eclectic and thinky stuff lined up for that. In the meantime, come talk to us on Friends of Think Again, a Big Think podcast on Facebook. And we'll be back next week with something completely different. Hope you can join us.